Man, so we are, we are continuing on in, in Galatians, and if, you'd like, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to chapter 4, verse 21. And so uh, I'm just going to jump right in with reading, just as the Israelites and we, the church for generations, has heard the word and heard it and recited it and said it. That's the biggest part of what we do together is hearing of the word, and we're, we'll unpack that more. But then I have kind of a distillation of a, of a statement that you'll see there in your thing, and I have three questions for us to ponder this morning. Um, one of them is the question that God, or Dave, Pastor David, David is not God, but he's really good. Uh, <laughs> he's been asking us the question every week, are you living in gospel freedom? So hear the word of God from Galatians 4, starting with verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just, at, just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. There's the word of God. Amen. Some Old Testament here. Woo. And if you're like me and you have an ADD brain, you might have read through that and said, uh-huh, let me read that again. What is, what's the flow there? Let me give you the sentence. The sentence. We were born again into freedom in Christ. Therefore, or because of that, our obedience comes from the heart, not the law. So we were born again into freedom. We're set free from bondage. Our chains are gone. Our, the chains of sin. We are forgiven. We're made whole. We're loved. Now, is it any wonder that Paul is perplexed? Why would we want to be in slavery to a God, little g, who gives us rules that we fail at, standards we can't reach, Whips us down with guilt. Being a slave makes us angry at our slave master. It makes us depressed in our hopelessness, beaten down, trudging on, knowing, not knowing if our master loves us. Is that what we want? 
God came to Abraham and made him a promise. He didn't say to Abraham, hey, Abe, carry out my promise for me. You know, he said, I'll give you a miracle child. And it was a foreshadowing of Christ. And he comes to us and he says, take me, Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the bread of heaven. I am the one who came to Abraham. I am the the water, the living water for your thirsty soul. It's to my glory that you are my child. Don't be a slave, but lose your life to the one who can give you the entire kingdom and who will glorify you with him forever. That's the promise, and that's the gospel, isn't it? But remember, you and I were born into this inheritance, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being born again, right? Remember Nicodemus and Jesus saying, you must be born again? What? Born again? How can I? What are you talking about? It didn't make sense to him. Things of God, the cross, the eternal, these are all foolishness to those who are perishing. And then obedience to God becomes about me. Have you ever avoided sin? Nobody's raising your hand. Okay, none of us. <laughs> okay, w- let me finish. Have you ever avoided sin for the sake of avoiding getting caught? For the sake of avoiding the punishment that comes? Amen. Yeah, kids. That's like kids, right? Like, well, adults too. Or, or have you ever avoided sin just so you don't get that bad, yucky, guilty feeling of that sin? Or have you ever avoided sin because it would make you look bad? You know, have you ever patted yourself on the back and said, ha, ah, I'm, I'm really doing good. I'm really doing good. I'm sure glad I'm not like Billy Bob over there who, <laughs> you know, maybe we ought to put him on the Facebook prayer chain, <laughs> you know, see how many likes he gets and, uh, and God will fix that. No, come on. It's... Paul is perplexed. He says that in the the passage before that. I cannot believe you. I've given you the gospel, and yet you want to return to this bondage, to this bondage to the law, to trying to do this thing on your own? Verse 21. And he's, he's saying this intentionally. Do you not listen to the law? Paul is steeped in the law. We know he's a Pharisee, and he has studied the law, memorized the Torah. He's taught it. He's, he's, he was on fire and obedient and following the law. And when the Israelites heard the word listen, it would be like standing in church and listening to the, or the synagogue, listening to the word of God, repeating it. But it have, has more than just the hearing of it. It would have the intentionality of obeying it, internalizing it, living it. So in Isaiah 1.10, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. For the Hebrew, seeing, hearing, understanding, repenting. They're all used synonymously for this idea of listen. And so 
you know, as, as Jewish Christians, they'd grown up hearing the Scripture read. They'd grow, grow up memorizing it. And so the very teachings of the Jewish legalists, these Judaizers who are saying you must be circumcised, you must follow the law and do these things. Now, I'm convinced, now this is just me, but I'm convinced Paul wasn't really all that concerned about circumcision. He really didn't care that much whether people were circumcised, per se, He didn't forbid following the Ten Commandments, per se. In fact, he would be the first to say the Ten Commandments are just the start of walking with God and following God and obeying God. He was furious. Paul was absolutely livid with the idea that these believers who had been entrusted with the gospel, who believed in Christ, were following Christ, would then come around and get caught up in this one thing. What is this one thing? This one thing in the, for the Jewish Judaizers was you got to be circumcised to be saved. But the one thing could be anything. It could be hand washing. The Jews were into hand washing. We still hand wash today. What if today I'm not saved unless I hand wash? Oh, I sinned. Got to wash my hands. You'd call your compulsive. You'd, you'd name that, wouldn't you? Um, but it could be this one thing that I must do to be saved. Uh, it could be celebrating the Passover or communion. Jesus celebrated the Passover. He didn't stop being a Jew. But when he gathered the disciples, he gave the notice of what the Passover was really about. Do this as unto me, in remembrance of me. So today, we could make the one thing having communion, as if communion itself saves you. Why do we do communion? We do this as part of our life together and we remember and we live in the gospel and we remember that Jesus died, that Jesus bled for us and that the good news of the gospel is Christ. It's not the bread and the wine. It's Christ. It's, so we can't let any one thing be the thing that we focus on and that's what he's so furious about. So Jesus was clear that It's the heart that changes when we're born again. Not the exterior. It's the heart that changes, and then obedience flows from a heart that is changed, that wants to bring glory to God. Oh, how far I am from that. And I know that every day, we're going to get to that in a minute. But John Piper, one of my favorite modern-day preachers, he has a phrase that I think is very appropriate because he really truly believes that we give glory to God. That's our purpose. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We'll talk about that more later. But if you're like me and you, and you heard this Old Testament passage and Paul's usage of it and you went kind of, huh? You, I'm going to put this chart up and it's a flow of what Paul is doing. Paul is taking the very teachings that the Judaizers had given to support you must be circumcised, and that teaching has to do with the birth of Isaac and the nation of, of Israel being blessed and, yeah, and all that. And he turns, it on, he, he turns it on their ear. But let me just remind you of what he's referring to. Back to Genesis and Abraham... You probably know the story, but I'll try to summarize it for you. God first comes to Abraham before he was Abraham, and he promises to make him 
an amazingly great nation, large, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you a covenant, and I'm going to, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And he renames him from Abraham to Abraham, father of many nations. And when he comes to him, his wife, Sarai, before she was named Sarah, was barren. She was not having children. And so Abram's like, okay, God, you promised to do this. Well, time rolls along, and she's like, hey, about kids, what's going on here? <laughs> he, he promised, but, you know, I don't know if it's you. I don't know if it's me. No, I don't Okay, Okay, sorry. Um, it says in verse 16 of Genesis, she had no children. So she says to Abe, here's my slave, my Egyptian slave. You hear that? Egyptian slave, not Jewish, Israelite slave, Egyptian slave. Her name is Hagar. He gives Hagar to her and says, let's fulfill God's promise this way. Go sleep with my maid, my, my, my slave. Perhaps we can build a family through her. And so Abram said, no way, God promised. No, he didn't do that. He just went along with it, okay? But then there was problems from there on out, right? Um, she was jealous of Hagar, wanted to cast her away. Um, Hagar goes away. God comes to her and, and speaks to her and said, it's all right, go back. And so there was some, there was some obedience there. And then... Um, Abraham is 99 years old, and she's old, and, and still, uh, you know, not, nothing happening for children. And God says to Abraham again, I'm, I'm, you're going to have a child, and the child will be named Isaac. And Abraham's like, he laughs. He thinks that's hilarious because we've been trying, and, you know, you haven't come through. And, and so, but we, we, got, we got Ishmael for you. He's a good kid. And he's laughing about this. And then in Sarah, too. Then what happens? Isaac comes along. So Ishmael's about 13, 14, 15, and then he is mocking Isaac. Sarah sees him mocking and thinks, this, this is terrible. Now they do get cast out. Now um, uh, Hagar and Ishmael get cast away. And they're out, and, uh, and that's, that's how we pick up the story now. And that's, what, that's the story that Paul is using to, uh, uh, to justify uh, not being circumcised, which is really ironic. Isaac was circumcised. Ishmael was circumcised. They were all circumcised. So it's really not about that, is it? So are you tracking with me there so far? Um, God gives the promise in verse 21 through um, 28. He says, it is written. So Paul comes back and says, it is written. The Judaizers had contemporized this passage and said, it is written. The Hagar-Sarah story is an argument that promises that God will come through Abraham and his seed, Sarah, Isaac, Jerusalem, and Paul is turning it upside down and saying, um, not just Isaac. 
Paul sets out in the same allegorical fashion to contrast the line of Hagar and Ishmael, which has to do with slavery and the natural process of procreation, and the line of Sarah and Isaac, which have to do with freedom and the promise. It's exemplified in Abraham, who's been made, um, well, Galatians 3.16, uh, 3.6, we talked about, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So it's always been about faith. Why does, in verse 25, Paul pick up and say that Mount Sinai is in, in, in Arabia? He says it twice. Mount Sinai, and then he says Mount Sinai is in Arabia. It's a pretty obvious statement. And isn't Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the law? And so isn't that what the Judaizers are saying? Look, in order to become a faithful person, in order to obey, you must, uh, um, the flow is Isaac, the law, Mount Sinai, where the law came, Jerusalem, come on in. And Paul is saying, Mount Sinai is in Arabia, outside Jerusalem, enemy territory, pagan territory. So listen, this is the key thing that would make the Judaizers so furious. Paul is equating Jerusalem and Mount Sinai with Hagar. No, wait, that's wrong. It's supposed to be on the other side of the chart here, Paul. He's, he's equating Jerusalem with the slave woman and the slave son and with the enemy territory of Arabia. What an affront to the teachings of... He's getting right to the core of their teaching and debunking it. It's wrong. Richard um, Longnecker, one of the um, commentaries says that for Jews generally, the salvation historical line of Scripture began with Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, extended through Moses and the Torah, given at Mount Sinai, and came to focus on the present city of Jerusalem as the epitome of Israel's hopes regarding the law and the land and the temple. Can you just imagine how angry these teachers would be when they heard Paul correcting that? What an insult, because it was critical for the gospel that they understood that they were saved by faith and not by works, lest any man should boast, as the scripture says. And so that we are citizens not of Jerusalem. We are citizens of a new Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is from above. The Jerusalem above that Paul speaks of is representing God's dwelling place. So for the Jewish believers to hear, wait, you're saying God's dwelling place is not Jerusalem? What are you saying? 
God's, where's God's dwelling? What's a heavenly Jerusalem? Where's that? Well, you and I know as believers in the gospel that it's the place that we all belong to now as citizens of heaven. Colossians 3 reminds us of that. We heard that earlier. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, heavenly Jerusalem, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above and not on things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Glory. We will appear with him in glory. God will be glorified. So now we get to verse 29, and we talk about God casting out. Does that seem fair? kind of a God would cast people out. Has anybody ever wrestled with that? How is it fair that God would keep some in and cast some out? How, what a mean guy Abraham was to go ahead and cast away this kid that was being a little bit of a brat, laughing at his brother, half-brother, and his mother cast him away from his family, from his household. Yeah, it does, from our perspective, from our reasoning, it's, it seems kind of harsh. And that is, that is what we're going to go to next when we think about who God is and what brings him glory and why he deserves to be glorified. Because Paul said, as it was then, verse 29, and that slave son was persecuted... So it is today. The one born of the flesh is persecuted. At first glance, this makes God look unfair. How is that good news? But we have to remember something. It was Ishmael that started the whole thing by scoffing and mocking the things of God and Isaac. So it is a picture for us of there is a dark mind who mocks who thinks that the things of God and the ways of God are so strange, I can't believe in a God like that. Give you atheists, give you agnostics, give you people of other religions that say, I can't accept a God where there would be a hell. I can't accept a God where people would be eternally cast into damnation. No, I believe in annihilation, which is the idea that everybody is gone and gone forever and never to live ever more. Or I believe in user, in user living. I believe in universalism, which means that because Christ loves all, everybody will be eventually brought into this thing and will all, there is no, you know, well, well, that would be to go against everything that Jesus taught and certainly the Apostle Paul taught. And Paul is bringing up this idea of being persecuted. The good news of the glory of Christ, we see it in 2 Corinthians And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, 
you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for my sake. So as it was then, it is now, Paul says, about as it was for Ishmael and Isaac, today you will be scoffed. You will be laughed at. You will be misunderstood. You will be thought to be kind of an idiot for being a Christian and believing a God that could be this way. It's so, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it sure doesn't. The gospel, is a, a, the gospel is an amazingly perplexing, strange, humbling, amazing thing to think that God would get glory for us believing and for others not believing. It's beyond me, and I hope it's beyond you because I don't, it's just an amazing thing. And so Paul is contrasting the Ishmael types, if you will, who are blinded, who don't understand, who mock and laugh and scorn, to the, the Isaac types, freedom, the, the woman, the child of freedom. And then saying, we, if we are in Christ, are children of freedom. Why aren't the Ishmael types free? Because they're hardened. The hardness of their heart spurns this childlike dependence on God, and their, dark, their understanding is darkened. They don't want the freedom of the gospel that you and I enjoy and desire. They don't want it. Just tell you one story. I'm staying away from stories because there's so much to unpack, but one time when I was a very young man following Christ, so thankful to be forgiven, reading my Bible, I came upon this verse that talked about once you taste of the, of the Holy Spirit, you cannot return and, you know, and sin and you cannot return. And I know that I had sinned, and, and, but I had known the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, Grandma, I don't think I'm saved. I think I lost my salvation. And I w- don't laugh at me. I was dead serious <laughs> because it scared the P-Wads out of me that I could, I know that's an old-fashioned term, P-Wads, but it really scared me. I was, tr- I was crying to my grandmother, who was my f- mother in the faith, and I said, I, think, I don't think I'm saved. Why, Johnny? Well, because I have fallen away from the Lord. And, and she said, let me, let me just tell you something. If you were not saved, you would not care. In other words, you are, the fact that you persevere in the faith, repent again, say, Lord, come, help me to follow you. I believe, but help my unbelief. And wrestle like Paul wrestled. Lord, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. You know, the, the wrestling that you enjoy the rest of your life in Christ is the evidence that you are in Christ and that he is in you, the hope of glory. Oh, great. So you're saying the spiritual, the sin, the, the, the daily struggle I have to walk with Christ, the fact that I, that I can't seem to get it, the fact that I don't follow the law is the evidence that I'm saved? Yeah. If you weren't saved, you wouldn't give a rip your heart would be darkened. Your eyes would be veiled. But God is, has been lifting the veil from you. And when, when you get a victory over sin, you can thank God and don't start patting yourself on the back or you'll go right back to it. Yeah, those who are older, you know, know what I'm talking about. Because that sin nature rages and yet we are saved. What a mystery. So, lastly, or the next thing is that God gives us. We're in verse 29 now. God gives freedom to those born of the Spirit. Okay, God 
gives freedom to those born of the Spirit. God gives freedom to those born of the Spirit. Do you hear the difference there? Your freedom doesn't come from you, from your abilities, from your talent, from your from your dogged determinist determination to keep moving. Your freedom in Christ comes because God has given you the freedom. Just as it was then, it is now. We live in the not yet. Pastor David has talked about this. There's the already where Christ has come in fullness and we live with him forever and ever. There's, there's, there's the not yet, which is he, his kingdom has come, but not fully. And we live in this tension of the not yet. Just as Ishmael mocked Isaac, we are strange people living in a sin-wrecked world. We're not citizens of this place. We are citizens of this other place, this, this heavenly Jerusalem that Paul is speaking of. When Piper says we most glorify God when we are most satisfied in him, he's saying it's a journey that we know we want to be satisfied in him, but sometimes we're not. We long to be most satisfied with him, and that's what brings him glory. We're not children of the slave woman, as if the law could save us, but we are free. Okay, so I'm going to ask three questions now. First question is, why is this good news? The answer is that it's the, gl- the glory of God in Christ. The good news is the glory of God in Christ. Second Corinthians puts it this way. Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are the only religion that's based on news, that's based on an event, that's based on the good news the event of the cross, of the resurrection, which we're going to celebrate, it's, those are the good news. Every other religion is based on the idea of follow these commandments, and if you're faithful enough, hopefully you'll get there. God may have mercy on you. Hoping that God sees your heart and that the scales are balanced. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. And Paul was so upset that the Judaizers were wanting circumcision because they were making that the thing. This is the thing that matters. Today, what is it we, we drift towards? I'm not gonna, I don't want to pick on you, but maybe it's, maybe it's speaking in tongues. Maybe it's being baptized. Maybe it's doing the hokey pokey and turning yourself around. I don't care. Whatever it is that you think is the thing, no, it's bondage. It's in his glory. Either you have been born from above and by the Spirit, or you haven't. You can't have it both ways. Just like Jesus when he said, you can serve the Lord or you can serve money, but you need to choose which is your highest treasure. Your dearest delight can't be the Lord and anything else. Wow. God gets the glory 
when his creation find its joy, especially in us, because we were made in his image in finding our pleasure in him. So what does gospel freedom, living as an heir of Christ, the children of the promise, have to do with glorifying God? Everything. When, when Christ prayed to the Father, glorify your son, he was going to the cross. He was the promised child, making us children of the promise in that very moment. We can't do anything about that. It, the Bible says before we knew him, he gave himself for us. So the glory of God is really at the core of this promise. And that's the only thing I can think of when it comes to why would God cast out? Why would God cast out? It's for his glory. John Piper talks about that glory. The vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation. The exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. God's glory is the goal of all things. The Bible talks about the heavens are shouting the glory of God. God is saying, I'm glorious. Open your eyes. Do you want to see it? Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. And so we need eyes to see it, hearts that long and love it, that are eager to see the glory of God. This is what we're made for. This is what it is to be citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. Isaiah 26, 8 says, Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. So do you know why God chose to make us his sons and daughters? I don't either. Because we can't make ourselves good enough for it. And yet this perfect God has perfect love to share who was perfectly satisfied in himself. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chose to bring himself glory by choosing us. Amazing. So is God some kind of a needy vacuum trying to suck pleasure out of, praises out of us? Yeah, he is if he's a lower being or a human. So we're going to end with this question. Are you born of the Spirit? How do you know? If you're in the struggle, if you're, if you're fighting the fight to, to walk with the Lord, you are in. And Jesus will, take him to be, Jesus will take us to be with him. And are you living in gospel freedom? If there's anything in your life that's becoming that one thing, lay it down. Let him be your all. Now let's pray.